you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Tell them Locked On sent you. And man, that was not exactly what any of us wanted to see last night in Oxford, Mississippi, was it? You know, there were a few positives to take away from this game, believe it or not. But you know what? I kind of appreciated Conzo Martin's honesty after the game last night because, frankly, I always want to be careful to criticize college guys too much, quite honestly. So sometimes maybe I lean more on the coaching side of criticism than the players. But you know what? I just thought Missouri's effort last night and their energy in the second half in particular was just not there, just not where it needed to be whatsoever. But I want to be careful on stuff like that, especially on something that is as subjective as energy, what other guys' effort is in a basketball game. But Conzo Martin summed it up pretty nicely. He said, quote, some guys didn't give it tonight. Some guys just didn't show up. And on Xavier Pinson in particular, he said he didn't attack the rim at all. When he's not aggressive, we're stagnant. And without a doubt, Missouri's offense totally stagnated in the second half of this basketball game. But you know what? The beginning was pretty good. I really liked Missouri's shots. I thought Drew Smith got into a really nice rhythm, played about as – probably shot the ball as well as we've seen here at Missouri for sure, especially from the outside. But you know what? After the first 10 minutes – of this ball game or so, it just felt like, man, Mississippi is right in there. They're hitting all their shots as well, and Missouri had frankly missed a few opportunities to build more of a lead there early in the ball game. I also spent a lot of time talking about Romello White from Mississippi in the lead-up to this basketball game, but frankly, Jeremiah Tillman was able to pretty much take him out of the basketball game by getting him into foul trouble, but In his 12 minutes, White still managed to go three for four from the field with six points. So you could see how effective he was when he was in the game. But again, just 12 minutes for him. But you know what? It didn't matter because you had guys like Jarkel Joyner and Luis Rodriguez who are not exactly known for their shooting prowess, just knocking down about everything from from the mid-range. Now, Shuler from Mississippi State obviously – had the touch from three. He knocked down five three-pointers. But overall, Mississippi's Mississippi shot better than they usually do from three at 38%. But really, it was those just one-on-one, end of the clock, hey, I'm just going to knock down an 18-footer type shots over and over again that honestly, it looked like in the second half, Missouri just got a little bit dispirited by the shots that Mississippi State was knocking down. Or sorry, Ole Miss, not Mississippi State. Excuse me. It was also nice to see Javon Pickett keep his play going. He didn't play much in the previous game because of an ankle turn, but I tell you, he only played 18 minutes tonight, but he was really good 
in those 18 minutes, especially in the first half offensively, kind of keeping Missouri, helping to keep Missouri in this basketball game. 10 points for Javon, knocked down a couple threes. Nicely done. His jump shot is starting to look a little bit better for sure. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for Mark Smith, who just seems to continue to be completely out of it, completely lacking in confidence, quite frankly, at this point. He took two shots in the basketball game in 29 minutes, also went to the foul line, but was one of three from the free throw line. He's just doing nothing offensively right now. Frankly, Javon Pickett has been much better than Mark Smith offensively lately. And well, if he didn't just turn his ankle, I got to imagine Pickett would be stealing more of Mark Smith's minutes. And maybe we'll see that down the stretch. I really want Mark Smith to play well, obviously, but I just see a guy who is just searching for something, just searching for any level of feel and confidence whatsoever. But it's getting really tough to watch. He's still playing really hard, on the defensive end of the court, and really effectively too. But man, offensively, it has been an absolute struggle for Smith. And and if he can't at least be a threat, if he's not going to at least be ready to shoot the ball, that kills Missouri offensively. It really does. But as I said, as subjective as something like effort is, there may be one place in the box score that you can actually objectively measure effort to some extent, and that's got to be in the rebounding column, right? It's not as though Mississippi is a bigger team than Missouri. They aren't by any stretch of the imagination. And also, as any of you who watched the game yesterday know, Mississippi made a lot more shots than Missouri. So when it comes to the rebounding battle, Missouri had no excuse yesterday. The fact that they got beaten on the glass by 15 total rebounds is totally inexcusable, and it just goes to show you that Mississippi just wanted that game more yesterday, which is frankly mind-boggling. How can that be? Missouri, the 10th-ranked team in the country, they were all alone in second place in the SEC. Frankly, Mississippi is going to have to, I don't know, win out practically to win, to make the tournament probably. I, I don't know. You know, They're 6-6 six and six in the league now, so maybe I'm going a little far there. But it just seems to me that Missouri had everything to play for, and they should have everything to play for in every game for the rest of this season. So hopefully they learned a lesson tonight that they've got to bring that level of energy every single night because this one off night where they got, frankly, embarrassed in the second half of this ball game, well, they're no longer in second. In fact, they're tied for fifth with Florida. So... Now we're going to have to battle to get a top four by seed in the tournament. But speaking of battling, why would you battle high prices and frankly all the intimidating car speak down at the dealership when you can go to rockauto.com instead for all of your auto parts needs? And frankly, with all the increasing numbers of different types of cars on the roads, foreign, domestic, all types of new makes and models, Well, that means there's going to be a lot of car parts that you have to stock in your store. Well, most stores don't have unlimited space. In fact, none do. Yes, that's right. Matter matters, ladies and gentlemen. But over at rockauto.com, they have 
warehouses throughout this country, and they can send you whatever part you could possibly imagine at your fingertips. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your vehicle and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com February is Black History Month and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than a Game. Don't miss this week's episode featuring Candace Cooper of Locked On Tar Heels and Erica Ayala of Locked On Women's Basketball discussing the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. There's a new episode coming next week, so go ahead and subscribe to the Locked On Presents podcast feed on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, obviously, Missouri's free throw shooting was not up to snuff yesterday, and most people are going to point to Jeremiah Tillman's foul shooting, and with good reason. He was two of six from the free throw line, but you know what? The rest of the team matched that percentage with three of nine from the foul line, including probably at least a couple missed one-and-one opportunities too. And you know what? With the amount of free throws that Tillman has taken particular lately, especially in SEC play, Missouri has actually gone from one of the best free throw shooting teams in the country, certainly last season and even the beginning part of this season when Tillman was knocking his down, to now one of the absolute worst free throw shooting teams in SEC play. In fact, they're second to last at 66.5% in conference play. So this is a real issue for Missouri all of a sudden, and it's not totally Jeremiah Tillman. Now, he clearly is the biggest culprit, but you know what? Kobe Brown has gone from a plus free throw shooter last year at 75% to now just hitting 50% this season. Obviously, Mark Smith has totally lost lost the steering wheel, too, when it comes to all types of shooting. So that's a problem as well. The one positive, Javon Pickett has really been knocking down his free throws this year. Now, for the most part, I still think overall Missouri is a good foul shooting team. You've got Pinson, you've got Drew Smith, you've got Mitchell Smith, guys who are all shooting over 80%. But the Tillman thing is a problem because he is going to get fouled, obviously, more than anybody else. And once again, the problem with Jeremiah, now I've said he has good form. Let's break this down. Let's break down what I really mean by that. I'm saying his arm positioning is fine. Now, I was actually just shooting around yesterday, and sometimes I mess around with, okay, do I want do I want my arm, more, my right arm, that is, my right shooting arm more in front of my face or a little bit off to the right, which sometimes feels a little bit more natural as far as getting your elbow positioning straight up and down perpendicular to the floor. But, you know, it's kind of personal preference. Depending on how I feel, I'll move it around a little bit. The point is you just want that elbow perpendicular to the floor. And for the most part, Jeremiah does a good job of that. But his legs, that's where it all goes wrong. And like a golf swing, everything in a free throw shot or any shot, a jump shot, starts with your legs. 
Think about it. You start bending your legs. That's the absolute first movement. Before you do anything with your upper body, you bend your legs. Frankly, again, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. Jeremiah, listen to me out here. I promise you, bend your legs more and that shot will come out softer. It'll feel more natural too. Just getting, by the way, bend them as far as you can bend them. Really, bend them to the point you feel like you're bending them a little bit too far and then bend them even more because right now you're not bending them enough. Do that in practice and I'm telling you that will soften up his shot. And anybody out there who plays basketball, if you're struggling with your free throws, bend the knees a little bit more. Make it more of a natural shot. If you're going to shoot a jump shot in a game, do you shoot it flat-footed? Well, no, you don't. You bend down, you jump up in the air, you get your you get up on at the very least you're getting up on your toes, right? If you're shooting a free throw with while getting your legs into it. Well, in a jump shot, you're getting off the ground. So obviously on a free throw, you don't want to shoot that flat-footed either. So that's my advice for Jeremiah Tillman and any free throw shooter. But finally, just as a positive, I did like Kobe Brown's aggression today. Sands the three-pointers. I like that he was looking to drive, looking to occasionally pull up, use his big body to create space. And you know what? He can shoot with his back to the basket, too, from 10, 12 feet away. So, you know, he can he can get into that paint, use more of an old-school type game other than just standing and shooting at the three-point line, which right now he's not particularly good at. So I like to see more of that from Kobe Brown moving forward. And, you know, I got to admit I was a little bit surprised yesterday when I saw that Missouri – was a one-and-a-half-point underdog just simply based on the Ken Palm projections having Missouri winning the game by one. Now, usually when Ken Palm and the line is off at betonline.ag by that much, well, that tells you maybe the guys at betonline.ag might know something. And you know what I know is that they're the only book that I trust for all of my listeners and the only place that gives you the great 50% welcome bonus when you sign up for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on to unlock your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Frankly, there's no reason to sit on the sidelines anymore with betonline.ag. So get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline. Your online sportsbook experts. And for more action from around the SEC, you want more SEC talk, hearing everything that's going around the league, where it just means more, frankly, the league that Missouri has no chance of winning anymore at this point. Well, you got to check on, check out the Locked On, the SEC podcast, wherever you get your shows. And actually, that will do it for today as far as Missouri talk goes. But you know what? I have a special presentation for you in this last segment. Locked On Today, the latest podcast on the Locked On Network, is the only 20 minutes you need to be prepared for the day in sports. Hosted by Peter Bukowski, here's what you can expect from this show every day. Locked On Podcast Network and Radio.com present Locked On Today. 
The NBA and its players are on opposite sides of the All-Star game. Are the Jets the most interesting team in the NFL this offseason? Plus, can the Minnesota Vikings follow in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' footsteps? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and the biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. We haven't heard much about the NBA All-Star Game lately, which is likely headed to Atlanta in less than a month. What's going on with that? Maria Martin with our friends at 11 Alive Sports gives us an update. An NBA All-Star Game announcement seemed imminent, but as word circulated that the league was scrambling to put a game together, I think it's stupid. Player criticism arose. Reports stated that the league and the Players Association liked the idea of having the game, but the actual players, not so much. Still dealing with a, with a pandemic. We're still de- dealing with everything that's been going on. And we're going to bring the whole league into one city that's open. Obviously, you guys can see I'm not very happy about it. After LeBron's comments, no announcement, just murmurs of the league continuing to work out the details. The job for the union has been to try to make sure our players are healthy and safe. Chris Paul is the president of the NBA Players Association and advocated for an all-star game, and he's still working to make that happen. Different situations, you know, guys who've been playing a lot of games uh, who hadn't really had much of breaks. You know, guys look at that break as an opportunity to see their families. Television rights are what makes it too appealing for the league to give up. Last year's game saw a ratings increase of 8%. 7.3 million viewers. Ads sold out in record time in 2020, bringing in millions. We all know why we're playing it. Uh, you know, is money on the line. Just putting, putting money over health right now. There is no timeline for an announcement, but it's likely coming. It may not bring the same fanfare as a typical event, but for Trey Young, he says it would be an honor. It's a different opinion for me uh, than a lot of other guys who are flying in. And um, I understand both sides. 11 Alive has been on top of this from the start. They'll continue to update us. But for the latest, check them out at 11 Alive News and 11alive.com. I, for one, don't understand how someone like Chris Paul can say, hey, we care about our guys' safety, our players, that's what we're worried about, and then say, well, we need to play this exhibition game that doesn't actually matter in the standings. LeBron has it absolutely right. This is about the money. This is about protecting the Golden Goose. They can sell ads on it, so they're going to have a game, and that's just the reality of the situation that we are in. Coming up next, are the Jets the most interesting team in the NFL at least for a couple months. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. It took overtime, but the Lakers beat the Thunder 114-113. to Wednesday night, LeBron James made a three with 19 seconds left in the fourth quarter to tie it at 105, then got the defensive rebound on the other end to send the game into overtime. The Phoenix Suns ended the Milwaukee Bucks' five-game win streak last night in a game that came down to the final seconds and a Giannis jumper at the buzzer that wouldn't go. Brendan Clean here with you from Locked On Phoenix Suns, coming to you live from Phoenix Suns Arena after a 125-124 victory by the Phoenix Suns over the Milwaukee Bucks, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. The Suns uh, come from a back-and-forth game, and Devin Booker takes them home once again with some fourth-quarter scoring. Gets to the free-throw line off of an isolation on Chris Middleton late. 
but more than anything, this is the Suns offense that we've talked so much about. They started off as a as a strong defensive team. They came together defensively with Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges leading the way there. Now the offense is is really at its peak. I've been talking about it for days and, and on, on Locked on Suns, and here we are. Another magnificent performance, 125 points against this Bucks defense. Weathered the storm as Giannis got to the line, I think 20 or so times the refs were almost uh, using broken whistles, it felt like, with how consistently that call was there for Giannis Antetokounmpo, but no matter. The Suns come away with the victory in front of a arena full of fans, and uh, it's their fourth straight. They are now 15-9, and nine, heading up the Western Conference standings, and as I said, coming together as an offensive squad and really realizing their potential. For more on this team, follow Locked On Phoenix Suns wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timberwolves fell to the Clippers 119-112, but they did get Carl Anthony Towns back as he returned for his first game since contracting COVID-19. Towns played 31 minutes and scored 18 points. Towns, of course, lost multiple family members to the COVID-19 outbreak and has been outspoken about his difficult experience in the pandemic. Five WNBA teams combined to make five trades, including seven players and five draft picks on Wednesday, highlighted by Natasha Howard heading to the New York Liberty and the Dallas Wings landing the number one overall pick. The Seattle Storm lost two key contributors to their 2018 and 2020 title teams while reshaping the roster with a focus on younger talent that also involved the Minnesota Lynx and Phoenix Mercury. Nearly half the league's teams in all were involved in the transaction. Here is another story you need to know. Between new coach Robert Sala and the swirling Deshaun Watson rumors and as much cap space as any team in the league has in an offseason where a lot of teams are going to be cap crunched, the New York Jets just may well be the most intriguing team of the NFL offseason. John Butchko from Locked On Jets joins me now. And John, when you are looking at the big picture for this Jets offseason, do you have a number one priority list here on, on what they need to get accomplished moving forward? You know, Peter, it's difficult to say because the Jets just need pretty much everything right now. This was <laughs> It was a 2-14 and 14 football team. And as you mentioned, there are going to be a lot of tools at the disposal of this team because they have cap space. And this is a unique year to have cap space. Most years, the salary cap goes up in the NFL. So even if you are among the league leaders in cap space, everybody's got some money to spend. So you may, be, you may be able to get certain free agents, but you have to pay a lot for them. This is going to be the type of year where there are not going to be a lot of teams with money to spend. So your dollars will go further. But in addition to that, the Jets also have an extra first round pick and an extra third round pick from the Jamal Adams trade. So that's the good news. The Jets have a lot of resources to make their team better, but the bad news is they need a little bit of everything. Right. They've got a lot, but they need a lot. And that that creates some questions about priorities. So is there a price with Deshaun Watson that you would just say, look, that's too much. It's It's just too much. You know, the way I look at it is I don't think that you would ever – 
say, 15 years from now, oh, man, we shouldn't have given up that extra first-round pick for Deshaun Watson. He's not <laughs> right. good. So I think it's more what are you trying to accomplish because if you can figure out that either a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields or you know maybe some other quarterback like a Trey Lance is going to be a franchise quarterback – that might be the quicker way to contention because then you take the classic NFL strategy of getting the quarterback on the rookie deal and you have all these resources to build around them. With Watson, you're guaranteeing yourself stability, but he's going to come at the expense. First of all, he's going to take up a lot of the cap space that you've got. But second, he's going to take up a lot of the draft capital that you have. Now, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl over the next you know, 10 to 12 years, Deshaun Watson is probably the best starting point that you can have, but it's probably going to be a slower build, although it's a, you know, it's a lower risk because you know Deshaun Watson's going to be great. So the way I view it is not so much, is this the right move or is it the wrong move? It's more, which strategy do you want to take? Do you want to take the sure thing that maybe brings you stability quicker, but it would take a little bit longer to build up? the rest of the roster or are you looking for the home run right now to potentially have a talented young quarterback to build around and as many resources as any, as any team in the league to build around them? It's not, I think it's more, which path do you want to take as much as it is? Is this the right move? Is that the wrong move? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers went from out of the playoffs to into the Super Bowl. Can the Minnesota Vikings take the same kind of leap and break their seeming franchise curse that's our cue of the day next agree or disagree this is the cue of the day there's an old joke about the vikings that you can't let them go near cereal because anytime they get near a bowl they choke but it was the case that the buccaneers for most of their franchise's existence was a laughing stock and so the vikings could this be the time to follow the Bucks script to go from a below 500 team to not only into the playoffs, but into Super Bowl contention? Locked on Vikings, Luke Braun has how they could get that done. All right. So in 2019, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they go seven and nine in 2020. They go 11 and five, make it into the playoffs as a wild card and win the Super Bowl. So how can the Vikings do the same thing? Seven and nine in 2020. How can they turn 2021 into that promised year? They have a bunch of problems from 2020 that they have to solve and some from before 2020 that they have to solve before they can get to that kind of promised land. And I think the biggest one that ailed them in 2020 is that they were soft and they were soft up the front on both sides of the ball, especially on the defense. And a lot of that had to do with some backups playing. They didn't have Michael Pierce because of a COVID-19 opt-out. They didn't have Daniel Hunter, who was injured. They didn't have Anthony Barr for most of the year. And they didn't have Eric Kendricks for a pretty decent chunk of the year as well. That'll hurt your run defense, but they were soft. They were able to be pushed around by pretty much whoever your the opposing guard was. It didn't have to be a good one. They were unable to, to hold their spots, to stay in their gaps, and a lot of times they would run themselves out of position anyways, leading to a lot of explosive rushes. Depending on how you define this, there were three games in the 2020 season where a rushing offense looked like an explosive passing offense against the Vikings. You can't let that happen. You have to be able to be a defense 
that you have to pass on to beat. And that wasn't true of the Vikings. You did not have to pass to beat the Vikings. You could have beat them on the ground entirely, and that is an outlier that you have to be able to fix. You can do that in a number of ways, through free agency, if you can figure out the cap, through the draft, just by virtue of getting a lot of players back from injury and otherwise, but you have to fix that softness problem. The other thing you have to do is deploy better coverage concepts, and the Vikings didn't have a lot of options around this because they started a bunch of young cornerbacks who couldn't get some of the more complex coverage rules down with no preseason or or at least a really truncated preseason, they were rookies getting used to the speed of the game. You saw that with Cameron Dantzler in 2020, who had an absolutely catastrophic first six games of his year. But then once the season kind of started to come around, he was able to do things like lock down Super Bowl winning wide receiver Mike Evans and had one of his better games against those Buccaneers. He locked down uh, Robbie Anderson and a whole bunch of players near the end of the season had a, a much better time. And Jeff Gladney also got better as the season went along. So you have to continue that and also also be able to kind of trust those players a little bit more. You can ask them to do a little bit more man coverage, some more complex coverage rules that allow uh, Mike Zimmer and his defense to come up with some more complex ways to counter the infinitely complex things that offenses are going to throw at them. And on the offensive side, though the offense was pretty good, you have to fix the offensive line. This is something that Vikings fans have been crowing about since like 2014, but there were 19 sacks, at least according to Pro Football Focus, that were only the fault of guards. You have to fix the guard situation. Dakota Dozier is not an acceptable starter, and a rookie left tackle in Ezra Cleveland playing at right guard is not acceptable either. You have to find a better strategy than that going into the 2021 season. What's interesting here is they could follow a lot of what the Bucks did last season if you hit on one or two draft picks. The Buccaneers, they add Tristan Wirfs in the first round. They add Antoine Winfield Jr., Coincidentally, a former Vikings player's son in the second round, and that catapults them further. Those are the missing pieces, so to speak, along with guys like Vita Vea, Devin White, Mike Evans, and, and first-round picks they've accumulated over a long period of losing. The Vikings haven't been picking in the top 10, in the top 15, but they have gotten some elite talent, guys like Justin Jefferson, and we saw last year Jeff Gladney, Cam Dantzler, they are guys who played well for stretches last season. If you can get that year two leap out of some of these guys and then add a rookie or two in this draft, figure out the cap and get some of that stuff is not going to be easy to navigate. But the Vikings have been doing it the last few years under some difficult conditions. They could be right back in the mix. I don't think it's likely. I think when Kirk Cousins is your quarterback, that caps your ceiling in a way that well, let's be honest, Tom Brady's doesn't, but Kirk Cousins has shown that he can win some of these big games. He's won some playoff games for the Vikings here, and so could he get really red hot in the playoffs with Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and an offensive line that's a little bit better? Yeah, I think he could. I just don't think it's likely, and they still have the Packers in their own division who they don't seem likely to pass. And finally, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers held a boat parade Wednesday to celebrate their Super Bowl championship. At one point during the parade, Tom Brady was captured on video tossing the Lombardi Trophy from his boat across the water to where a shirtless Cameron Brait made the catch and brought wild cheers from fans and players. That was the best catch of my life, Brait said. Unbelievable. That was the best catch of my life if I had dropped that. I think I would have had to retire. Just imagine if Tom Brady had missed the throw. I guess he's got plenty 
back home. He's got he's got six spares, so he he could have found a replacement. I think there. Now that you've got the news, go make some money. Listen to Locked On Bets. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on Friday, can the Chargers do what the Bucks did and land themselves the Super Bowl in their home stadium, just like Tampa Bay? At least until tomorrow. Stay locked on today.